James is busy working with us. James is talking with us. James is the half-brother of Jesus Christ. He lived with Jesus. He spent time with Jesus. First of all, he didn't believe in Jesus. And later on, we see that now he believes in Jesus. He was the head of the church according to the book of Acts. And he is talking to us about very important things in this book. He's talking about spiritual maturity. It is the phrase where people say, I'm saved, so what? So what now? What do I do now that I'm a child of God, a Christian? Some people believe, that's it. I'm in heaven, I've made it. I can just sit back, do nothing. Is that the case? The Bible says that when we are born again, you know that phrase? Born again. It means a change of mind. It means the way that you perceive your sin, the things that you do wrong, that I changed my mind around it and now I'm not doing it anymore. But you see, it's not coming from you. It is the Holy Spirit who works it in you, who empowers you and helps you to change your mind. And then the things I used to do, I do them no more. I'm a new creation, the Bible says. Changed totally from the inside out. James goes further now and he gives us a practical explanation of now how to change, how to become mature. The Bible says that when we are born again, we're like a little baby. And people come around and they like to tickle the little pinky toe and the little hands and they go, ooh, and ah, about babies. But after a while, that baby needs to grow up. And this is what it's all about. How grown up are you as a child of God? Or did you get stuck somewhere in one year? I remember when I went to school, when you threw in, in, our, in South Africa, it was standard. Standard 1, standard 2, standard 3. And you go up to standard 10. Is that right? To standard 10. And, and what happens then, Janelle, if you, if you don't write the test and you don't pass, you stay in standard 5 until you can write the test and you pass on to standard 6. It sometimes feels to me as if there's Christians who are stuck in standard 5 and they can't go on to standard 6. And it's not because of all the efforts, it's about of growing. There's some growing that needs to happen. So the Bible says we are like babies and babies need to grow up. And this is what it's all about. Now to, to lead into that, I just thought this morning as I prayed and prepared my heart for the sermon today, this scripture verse just came to my mind, and I open it up there, and I want to read it to you before we get into James. In Romans, Paul writes Romans to this church, and listen to what he writes here. Romans chapters 4 verse 6. Uh, chapter 6 verse 4. That's right. For if we have been united together in the likeness of His death, certainly we also shall be in the likeness of His resurrection, knowing this, that the old man was crucified with Him, that the body of sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves of sin. For He who has died has been freed from sin. Now if we have died with Christ, we believe that we shall also live with Him, knowing that Christ, having been raised from the dead, dies no more. Death no longer has dominion over Him. For death that He had died, He died to sin once for all, but the life that He lives, He lives for God. 
So then he goes on to say that we need to walk in the footsteps, in the ways of God. We need to walk a walk of a Christian, of a child of God. Turn over to me with Colossians chapter 1. Let's go to that verse. Colossians is just one of the letters that Paul wrote to the church in Colossae. And <clears throat> Colossae chapter 1. I want to read to you how he introduced or read to them. He says in verse 9, Colossians chapter 1 verse 9. He says, For this reason, this is Paul writing to them, We also since the day that we heard it, that is about their faith, do not cease to pray for you and to ask that you may be filled with the knowledge of His will in all wisdom and spiritual understanding. That's a wonderful prayer that you can pray for people. Now listen to this now. That you may walk. Everybody say walk that you may walk worthy of the Lord. Are you walking worthy of the Lord? Have you asked yourself that question? I am saved, so what? So now you need to walk worthy of the Lord. This is what James is all about, maturity. Walk worthy of the Lord, Paul writes to them, fully pleasing Him. Who are you pleasing today? Are you pleasing yourself? Are you pleasing your family, your husband, your wife, your children? Are you pleasing your workplace, your boss? Or are you pleasing God? Now let me tell you something today. If you are walking pleasing God, you will please everybody else. You will. It will come natural from you. Jesus Christ came to this earth to save sinners. But he was pleasing to all. Now you say, wait a minute, there was so much animosity against him. Yes, those are the ones who chose not to walk with him. And you will have that. But he says it here. He, he says, I'm going to pray to God that you get wisdom and knowledge of his will and then spiritual understanding that you may walk worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing him, being fruitful in every good work, are you fruitful in every good work? These are questions you need to ask yourself. And increasing in the knowledge of God. Where do you increase in the knowledge of God? In His Word. Studying His Word. Living a practical Christian life. This is what it's all about. It amazes me that churches are throwing this out the door. They are throwing it out that they don't want to preach. They preach one verse and they tell stories. Friends, this is where you pick up the knowledge of God. If you want to be fruitful in the works, it's through this. And have an understanding of His will. That's how Paul puts it. Let's see now, as we study further on in the book of James, how he puts it. Now, for the last three weeks and continuing on until we finish verse by verse through the book of James, we are completing the following sentence. A mature Christian is what? A mature Christian has working faith. Has working faith. And your verse is in James chapter 2 verse 14 where he says, Who does it profit, my brethren, if someone says he has faith but does not have works, can faith save such a man? That's a very good question. Somebody comes in to the church 
in the, in the place where he was, and they walk in there and they say, oh, we have faith, we have faith, we are faithful, we have faith. And James asked the question, he says, how then does that show in your works? Works and faith. Faith is a key doctrine of a Christian living. It's key. Everybody who sits here this morning and says that he's a child of God, faith is key to your your life, your Christian life. First of all, we are saved by faith. Did you know that? It's not because of your own efforts. It's not what you did. It's not because of your parents, because they served God. It's not because you are a blue-eyed boy or the favorite son. No, no. We are saved by grace. Ephesians chapter 2 verse 8. He says, for by grace you have been saved through faith. Do you know what the definition is of grace? Grace is getting something we did not deserve. That's what grace is. You got something that you did not deserve. And here Paul says, he says, we were saved by that something we did not deserve called grace. You have now been saved through faith. Pistis is the word in Greek there. It is a faith from above. It's a faith that God gives you. It is where the Holy Spirit comes and through preaching, through maybe listening to a Christian song, the Holy Spirit consistently speak and work with you. Have you ever listened to a sermon and you know, man, something that he says now is really resonating with me. It really, you know, in my heart it feels as if he's talking to me. Have you? Have you? That's the Holy Spirit. And then he imparted that faith and he says, and that not of yourself. It's not your faith. It's God's faith. It is a gift of God. Not of works, lest anyone should boast. And man, are we living in a world full of boasters, aren't we? Aren't we? Even in the church of God, there's a lot of boasters around. They walk around and say, oh, that's a great Christian. Oh, that guy is a great Christian. No, no, no. God hasn't got great Christians. He's got obedient children of God. They are children of God who stand on faith. They are called faithful. This is what he's talking about. He says we are saved through grace. I thank God that I'm saved through grace. Because all my best efforts won't even come close. Not even close. I know myself. You know yourself. You know your thoughts. So it is key doctrine to Christian living because we are saved by faith. And then we walk in faith. We, we, we supposed as children of God to walk in faith. Paul again writes it to Corinthians in 2 Corinthians 5, 7. He says, for we walk by faith and not by sight. Are you? So many people, children, Christians, they say, I first want to see before I do. I first want to see before I believe. But we are not supposed to walk like that. Paul says to this church there, we walk by pistis. We walk by faith. And, and like I prayed, and like I say again, this is not what a lot of people say, it is blind faith. It is, oh, I'm going to just jump, Lord, and I know that when I jump, you're going to catch me. No, no, that is coming from the devil. The devil took him out in the wilderness, and he says, jump off here and the angels will catch you. It's written. And then what did he say? Jesus answered him back. He says, you shall not tempt the Lord your God. No, no, Christians shouldn't do this. I'm just going to jump into this and see what happens. 
No, we are not called by Scripture to do that at all. And if you hear people tell you to do that, they are wrong. The Bible is right. It is trusting faith. This is trusting faith. I can't see what is on the other side of the hill, but because I trust in God, and if through His Spirit and through His guidance He wants me to continue, that's when I take the next step one after the other. Are we clear on that? So we have saving faith, we walk by faith, and we please God through faith. You see, faith is critical to a child of God. So it's important for us to understand what this faith is that James is talking about. Hebrews chapter 11 verse 6, he says, But without faith, listen very carefully, it is impossible to please Him. It's impossible to please God without faith. Obviously, you've got to put these verses in context. But if, he's, if you read it on face value there, he says, For he who comes to God must, everybody say must. What does must mean? Must means must. That was easy. <laughs> everybody must believe that he is, this is God, and that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. Look. He, he, he ties the word reward, you see that? He's a rewarder of whom? Those who diligently seek Him. He ties the word reward to seeking. Have you noticed that? There are people sitting in churches who's not seeking Him and there's no reward. And they are the ones coming around and saying, this Christian life, this Christian walk is really tough and hard. That is a given, that's not a lie. But he has, some people can walk through that toughness and hardness with a smile on their face. Not a fake smile, it comes from the inside out. With a joyful, pleasing aroma to God because it's through faith that they walk this. And they walk through this difficult time. While somebody else walked through the same difficulties, but man, it feels as if they are carrying the world on their shoulders. And you can see it on their faces. Oh, it's so tough to live this life. It's just facts here. And here he says it right there. He says, we please God through... Have you ever thought of this? Have you ever in your mind thought that you can please God? Not by giving out arms and money and food and everything. Yes, that's good. We're going to see it in a minute. It's good to do all of these practical things. Do, do, do you know that some people do it to be seen? Wait, we'll get to that. But did you know that you can please God just by this one thing? Is to have faith in Him and to show that faith. To be pleasing to God. It's critical for us. The doctrine, the faith is critical doctrine to us. Now this one might be a little bit different from the other three. But did you know that we sin without faith? That is a sharp contrast to the previous one now. The previous one says we please God through faith. Now, in Romans, Paul again writes to this church in Romans 14.23, he says, but, we, but he who doubts is condemned if he eats. Now, let me put it in contrast. He was talking about eating food. Back in the day there, that is food in all of these temples and so on, which was offered to idols. And, and they were not allowed to eat, but then he said, we're not under that law. So people go there and they eat. But if you don't know about that food, you can eat. 
And here he goes on in this verse, he says, But he who doubts is condemned, condemned if he eats this food, because he does not eat from faith. For whatever is not from faith is what? Is sin. Is sin. It lies at the door. So faith is pretty important, would you say? Trusting faith, I would say, is very important. Let me ask you this morning, throw it back to you. How is your faith this morning? How is your faith? Are you holding on to God just by your, your fingernails that if something bumps you, you go, I've lost my faith. That's an amazing statement in itself. I've lost my faith. Friend, if God put faith in your heart, then it's yours and God will help you to keep it there through the Holy Spirit. Now let's look at this now. Again in that verse there he says, what does it profit? What is the profit? What is the reward, my brothers, brethren? If someone says he has faith, but do not have works. Do not have works. He puts faith and works together now. Now, some people say that he's opposing what Paul was writing. Do you remember Paul writes down, he says, the, uh, the just shall live by faith and faith alone. In other words, if you've got faith, there's no works involved. And there's a lot of scholars and teachers in the world who says, now that shows you that the Bible contradicts itself. The Bible never contradicts itself. You just need to study the Word of God, gain His knowledge and ask God for wisdom to understand the Word of God. No, it's not against it. Let me show you. In Romans chapter 3, Paul says, the righteousness of God comes through faith. Look at this now. The righteousness of God is through faith. This is how he puts it to them. He says in verse 21, But now a righteousness of God. There's two kinds of righteousness the Bible talks about. The one is self-righteousness. And righteousness, the definition for righteousness, is to live a life acceptable for. You need to put in after that sentence, for self or for God. Okay, so righteousness is to live a life acceptable for. God's righteousness is if we live a life acceptable for Him. If you live a life acceptable for Him, your guideline is the Word of God. It's so clear as that. Now, if you live a life acceptable for self, the guideline is whatever you think is right. That's why people go off the rails. They shoot 59 people and then people go, what happened? Well, this is a person who lived a life acceptable to himself. Agnostics, atheists, which I don't believe is, they are living a self-righteous life. A child of God should never live a self-righteous life. So we get our guidance, we get our, our view from up high. We get it from God. He says, now a righteousness of God has been revealed. Through whom? Come on, you shout it out. Through Jesus, through Christ, He revealed the righteousness of God. He walked amongst us. He showed us. And then He written to us. He speaks to us. That's the righteousness of God. Now look at this. He says, don't miss this. He says, has been revealed apart from the law. The law is based on works, Paul says. This righteousness is apart from the law. Being witnessed by the law and the prophets. Verse 22, he says, even 
the righteousness of God through faith of Jesus Christ. So this gives us an indication that the righteousness of God comes through whom? Jesus Christ. Whenever you see the word Jesus in front of Christ, it shows about His walk on the earth. That was while He was on the earth, He showed the righteousness, Jesus Christ. Some other places in the Bible you read about Christ Jesus, it talks about Him when He ascended upon high. So now He says that while He was on the earth, He showed us the righteousness of God through the faith in Christ towards all and upon all those who believe. For there is no difference. Verse 23, For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God, being justified freely by His grace, through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God has set forth to be appropriation through faith in His blood. Is there any work in this? No. It's faith in His blood. To declare His righteousness through the passing of the sin that has taken place before in the forbearance of God. Now listen to this now. For the display of His righteousness, the display of His righteousness, at this time, for Him to be just and forgiving, the one being of the faith of Jesus. Then, where is boasting, Paul says? There's nothing to boast in. Because it's all in Him. It's Jesus Christ who did it all. Nothing we did. Not your best works. The Bible says in the book of Isaiah, Isaiah, it says our best works is like what? Filthy rags. That's our best works, like filthy rags. But I don't have to stand on my best works because the righteousness has been revealed through Jesus Christ. I just have to come through Jesus to the Father. That's what he said himself, John chapter 14, verse 6. He says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Listen, no one comes to the Father except through me. That's it. So this is what Paul says, and he, and he goes on to say now, is it excluded through what law of works? No. He says there's no works involved but through the law of faith. Therefore, we conclude that a man is justified by faith without the works of the law. Now, one can look at this now and say, James, you are the brother of Jesus. Uh, look, you write, faith has, but does not have works. Can that faith save him? So you say that we have to have works. Paul says that we have not to have works because it is without works. It's really confusing, but it's not. Let me explain. You see, we have the cross in the middle. What these two apostles is talking about is the work before the cross and the work after the cross. That's what it's all about. All of that. All of that ranting that I just went on there and all of that. This works before the cross and works after the cross. You see, the work before the cross, people are working to gain their righteousness. They are working so hard. Oh, we have to, and we have to, and we have to do this. And we have to, you know, and you see this with the, with, with the Muslims. They have to pray so many times and bend so many times. You see it with the Roman Catholics. They have to say so many Hail Marys. Is it Hail Mary? Yeah, it's Hail Marys. They have to do these things. 
You, you see it in the Orthodox Jews. They have to work really hard. They walk around with the paraclete. You know what the paraclete is? That little uh, band, rubber, uh, uh, leather band around the heads and a little box in the front which got the Ten Commandments of God there. And they work so hard. You see, this is the work before the cross. And this is what, this is what uh, Paul addresses. He says, look friends, you don't need that works because Christ came. This is what he says. Uh, we remember when in John chapter 6 verse 27, these Jews came to Jesus and they said to him, what work shall we do? Let's read it. He says it there. John 6 27. Uh, they asked him, oh, he, say, he made the statement. He says, do not labor for the food that perish, but for that food which endures for everlasting life, which the Son of Man will give you. You see? What do you have to do? He will give it to you. You see that? Do we all know what give means? Give means given. Okay? He says He gives it to you. For, He says, the, the Father sealed Him. Then they said to Him, What shall we do that we might work the works of God? In other words, what shall we do to do this righteousness and to be, to get this everlasting life? What shall we do, Jesus? And this is His words. In verse 29, Jesus answered and said to them, This is the work of God, that you believe on Him who He has sent. Finish and clear. That's a South African term. It means done. He didn't say that you should, that should you believe on Him who He has sent, and that you should wash your clothes five times a day, and that you should wash your food two times a day, and that you should wash your hands three times a day, and that you... No, no, no. No. Believe on Him. And friends, let me tell you one thing this morning. The gospel is still the same. If you want to come to Jesus Christ, you bow your knee, you repent of your sin, you ask God to forgive you because you've sinned against Him, you know what He does, He comes and He sent the Holy Spirit to seal you, He saves your soul, it's still the same, you believe on Jesus Christ. It's the same. This is the work before the cross. This is what he was talking about here in Romans, Paul. That is what he talks about. No confusion here. Now what James is talking about is the work after the cross. You see, we work to use the righteousness that God has given us. That's total different. Total different. Let me show you. It's not what I'm saying. Don't take my word for it. Take the word of God. Luke chapter 3. Luke chapter 3. I was going to put it on the board, but it's a long passage, so I won't read the whole passage, but I will just highlight out the points that I want you to see here. Uh, we find John the Baptist now baptizing at Bethabara, just outside of Jerusalem. He's baptizing there. These people come to him. He's baptizing with the baptism of repentance. It's a different baptism that we have today. It's a total different message. But he baptized. People come to, uh, to him by the scores. He looks like a prophet. For 400 years they haven't seen a prophet. They haven't heard a prophet from God. John the Baptist appears on the scene. These big weeks, the, the Pharisees and Sadducees, they were sitting all there. They heard about this man coming out and, and everybody goes to him. And then they ask him this question. Look at verse 8. 
or let, let's look at verse 7, uh, Luke chapter 3, 7. Then he said to the multitudes that came out to be baptized by him, Brood of vipers! <laughs> That's a different church strategy, isn't it? <laughs> oh, that doesn't fit in with Mr. Rick Warren, does it? <laughs> Nowhere in his books will he say, Call them brood of vipers! No, that'll make them free and run away. Well, he did that. He said to them, brood of vipers, who wants you to flee from the wrath to come? Who was he talking to? He was talking to these delicate of people who were sent by the Pharisees and Sadducees to go and see what he does. And he saw them. And as soon as he saw them, he got enraged. Well, I wouldn't say enraged. He doesn't say enraged. But he called them out with an exclamation mark. That tells me he was really loud and open to them. Forget about these other people standing around and saying, Oh, brother, you can't judge. No, they, they were not there. He called them out for who they were. But then he continues on. Verse 8. He says, Therefore, bear fruits worthy of repentance. You see that? Bear fruits worthy of repentance. What is that different than James say, saying that he has faith but does not have works? What fruit is he talking about? He's talking about works. He says, bear works that is worthy of this repentance. What is it? He continues on to say. He says, um, do not say that yourself we have Abram as your father, for I say to you that God is able to raise up children to Abram from these stones. Even now the axe is laid against the root of the trees. Therefore, every tree which does not bear fruit is cut down and thrown in the fire. That's a great other message. But listen to this now. Verse 10. Re remember, he just said to them, bear fruit. In other words, faith, show the works now. What works then, John? He says it there. So the people ask him, what shall we do then? What shall we do? Remember in John chapter 6 when I showed you when they came to Jesus, what did he say? Believe in the Son of God. Why didn't he say the same thing here? Because, friends, although this is before Jesus Christ died, but it shows us now works that need to take place after the cross, after you are saved. Look at this. Verse 11, he says, He answered and said to them, He who has two tunics, in other words, two jackets, let him go to gum tree and sell it on... No, no, that's not what it says there, is it? No, he says, He who has two tunics, let him give to him... Do you see the word give there? Give to him who has none, and he who has food, let him do likewise. In other words, don't just live for yourself, give it away. Don't be selfish. That is a work after the cross. After the cross. Then the tax collectors came to him to be baptized and said to him, Teacher, what shall we do? And he said to them, Collect no more than what is appointed to you. That is stealing. Again, after you've come to the cross and you are saved, you don't continue if you're stealing. No, no. What, what, what did he do? What did, what did uh, Matthew do? What did uh, Zacchaeus do? They said we're going to give back ten times or they're going to give money back. And he goes on, he says in verse 13, Likewise the soldiers ask him, saying, What shall we do? So he said to them, Do not intimidate anymore anyone, or accuse falsely, and be content with your wages. Oh man, I can preach about contentment, can I? <laughs> people are sitting in church, people are walking around discontent. Did you know that contentment after the cross is a works of faith? Did you know that? 
Con let me say it again. Contentment after the cross is a works of faith. Explain. I work for a company. I believe God has placed me there. I work for a comp company, but I work for God first. I work for Him first. And I'm content. Why? Because man can't receive anything if it hasn't been given to him from heaven. So I'm content with God. If anything happens at this level, at work level, I'm content with God. They might upset me, but I'm content. Are you getting what I'm saying here? I'm content. Now my contentment shows my faith. And God will guide me how I deal with this level that I'm working on. That is work after the cross. That is a work of faith. This is what it's explaining here. They do not oppose each other. Now let's quickly continue and finish today. First of all, he's going to show us now dead faith. Did you know they could be dead faith? James chapter 2, 15, he says, If a brother or a sister is naked and is destitute of daily food, and one of you says to them, Depart in peace, be warmed and filled, but you do not give them the things which are needed for the body, what does he profit? What does he profit? That's also faith by itself. If it does not have works, he's dead. In other words, dead faith. But someone will say, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith without your works and I will show you my faith by my works. He says, in this church that I visited, I walked in there and there's a couple that comes in there and they are really a little bit under the pump, as they say. That's the saying. They, they run out of cash flow. They haven't got money. It's cold in that time. And these people come in and everybody can see that they are struggling. They can. I'll tell you one thing, friends. Let us be clear today. You can see when people are struggling. You can see it. You might not want to see it and keep a blind eye to it, but you can see. And this is what happened to these people. They came into the church and, oh, come up this brother. Oh, he's a great Christian, you know. He's got everything and he is the, you know, the, 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 the pillar of faith of the church. And he walks up to them and goes, oh, yeah, man, I can see that you are struggling. I'll tell you what, depart in peace. Go in peace. You know what I'll do? Be warmed and filled. I'll pray for you. I'll pray for you. But in his pocket, there's a burning $50, which could have helped him. Now, I'm, I'm calling it money. I'm not after your money. I never preach money. But he knows, at home, I've got a jacket, two tunics, which if I just go home and go and take that jacket and give it to this poor man who's cold, but you know what's the problem? I paid $1,000 for that jacket. He says, you know what? You can stand around with your faith, but it's dead. It's dead faith. It, it, it means nothing. What profit has dead got? You tell me. Zolts, donuts, nothing. He says, this is the thing. You see, this person who came up to him and says, go in peace, he has a lot of head knowledge and on his mind, but he's no concern in his heart. Nothing. And there, this is the thing. This is a puffed up knowledge. It's puffed up. It's dead faith. The second one is the demonic faith. Did you know there's demonic faith as well? Look at this. James chapter 2, 19. He says, you believe that there is one God. You do well. Congratulations. Woohoo! High five. You do well. But know this. Look at this now. He says, even the demons believe 
and they tremble. This verse should be read in a few churches how they go on and make God cheap. Honestly, they tremble. They've got faith. It's a demonic faith. But do you want to know, O foolish man, that faith without works is death? Now what is he doing? He's saying that, let's look at these demons. They tremble, they have faith, but they, they, it's dead. Even their faith that they, they have is dead. They believe in the sense that, that they acknowledge God exists. That's what the demons do. They acknowledge He exists. But this faith does nothing to the demons. Have you noticed? They stay demons. Let me bring it to humans. There are people in this world, in the church, who believe that God exists, but they've got none such faith because it's evident in their works. They don't do the things of God after the cross. It's demonic faith. And then we find this one, and this is what we need to be. He talks about living faith. Living faith. James chapter 2, verse 21, he says, Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered Isaac? He, he's really, you know, he, he throws it out there. Because this is now the argument of Paul, isn't it? Against Paul. He says, was not Abram justified by works when he offered Isaac his son on the altar? Question mark. Oh man, I love this. <laughs> this is fantastic. He says, I've given you all of this now about faith, dead work, faith, and all of this, but now I'm going to throw this to you, because you're going to throw it back to me. He anticipates this question. But Abram, he was justified when he took Isaac up there to offer him. And then he was justified by that. Do you see that faith was working together with his works? And he's going to explain it now. And by works, faith was made perfect. And the scripture was fulfilled, which says, Abram believed God, and it was accounted to him for righteousness. And he was called the friend of God. You see, then that a man is justified by works and not faith only. This goes back to Genesis 15. You remember? In Genesis chapter 15, God, and, and he believed in the Lord. This is Abram believed in God, and he was accounted to him for righteousness. When did it happen? Genesis chapter 15, verse 6. He was found righteous. This is Abraham. Why? Because he believed in God. Let me rewind quickly. Remember when the Pharisees came to Jesus and said, what works must we do? And he said what? Believe in Him. This is the work before the cross, friends. You are saved by believing in Christ, not on your own works. Now after the cross, let's put this after the cross. Now we can put in the cross between these two. In Genesis 22, much later, after that, he told him to go and take his son and offer him. Now, he had to do the works of faith after the cross. He took his son up, and then they came to the place God had told him, and Abraham built the altar there and placed the wood on the altar and bound Isaac his son and laid him on the altar upon the wood. James uses this as an example. He says, you see all of this? He says he was justified by works when he offered Isaac his son. Do you say that faith was working together with his works? Faith was working together with his works. Is that becoming clear? Now he uses another example. He says, likewise, was not Rahab the harlot also justified by works when she received the messengers and sent them out another way? 
For as the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without works is dead also. Faith without works is dead also. He uses a different one now. Interesting, isn't it? Abram was a Jew. Rahab was not a Jew. Have you noticed? He uses both. Abram is the father of the Jews. And he uses him as an example of working faith. But then he goes to a Gentile. And he shows it from a Gentile side. You say, what is the difference here? If you go back and you see Abraham was working with God, God approached him, there was a conversation with Abraham. But with Rahab there was nothing. If you, in fact, if you read, and for time's sake I've saved you that, but if you read the passage about Rahab, you will see that when these men came to her, she was telling them about God. I heard that God helped you through, and that God was going before you, and God, it never says that God spoke to her. But you see, the knowledge of God that she got made her to move in faith towards God. And then, after that, in her heart, the conviction took place. Now she applied the works after the cross by hiding them and sending them in a different direction. Do you see this? I thank God for this. You see, Abram shows us that if we believe in God, we will do what He tells us to do. Take your son Isaac and go and offer him. That is what Abram is showing us. Rahab... He's showing that if we believe in God, we will help His people even at our own expense. She wasn't even afraid to die. She was helping them. Why? Because in whom did she have faith? She had faith in God. That is working faith. You see, James uses these two examples of living faith. The father of the Jews and Rahab the Gentile. So these lessons are very clear for us. Now I'm asking you this morning, what faith do you have? I know you do not have demonic faith, okay? That is ascribed to demons. <laughs> but you have dead faith, and you have living faith. Working faith. That's the question this morning. James says if you want to show a, a sign of maturity, John the Baptist says, do the works of repentance. Paul says, this is works, it's by faith alone, but then it's works as well. And the question to you this morning is, your faith that God has given you, is it dead faith? Or is it working faith? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you this morning for your word. Your word is so clear, Lord, and that's what I find fascinating, Lord. It is so directive. It's not difficult for us, Lord. And we thank you for your Holy Spirit who comes and it opens it up to us and makes it clear to us. We thank you for that, Lord. We thank you that we can come to you and trust in you. We thank you this morning that we can apply the faith that you've given us.